1: And good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in. We've got a very important update and podcast today, and if you are a newer listener to the podcast, it will likely blow your mind. So uh, you might want to back off from the radio or your earbuds a little bit and uh, just take this. (laughs) Scott Shera is in studio again with us. Good morning, Scott. Good morning. Um, We are going to get into this in a couple minutes, but we are tentatively uh, titling today's Conversation, Hospital Murders Exposed, and How to Protect Yourself. But before we do, um, I want to read some scripture that I just was looking at this morning, and I thought, hmm, uh, a good passage to remind us to keep our perspective. First John 4, starting in verse 8, it says, The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. By this, the love of God was revealed in us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we may live through him In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we remain in Him and He in us, because He has given to us His Spirit. We have seen, John writes, and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him, and he in God. From 1 John chapter 4. A couple articles today we will get to tomorrow um, with troublemaker John Haller. Um, Satanic Temple is going to host the Let Us Burn tour. They're going to try to hold events at state capitals to mock God and believers. Um, They are really counterfeiting Sean Foyke's Let Us Worship Tour that he's been doing the last couple of years. We'll talk about that tomorrow. That's my new article this week. The Supreme Court has denied a Christian college's appeal over their transgender policy. So we'll talk about that tomorrow, a Missouri Christian college. Unfortunately, they're seeking to halt a Biden administration policy. The battle with the Biden administration and the globalists, to be continued. Um, Also, what the Biden regime is doing, um, there's now evidence in video. I have it here. I don't know if you can see this. There's three, six, nine teachers there in this uh, Google or not Google. What is it called? A chat, online chat. What is it? Johnny, help me. Oh, (laughs) when when you can get other people. Zoom. Zoom. A Zoom chat. So there's nine teachers The Biden regime heavily funding subversive Midwestern teachers group scheming to transition innocent children without their parents' consent. A lot happening, Mr. Scott Sherrill, without parents' consent today, and that's just one of the many things the globalists and the radicals and the Democrat socialists are up to, and we can no longer ignore it. Well, let's talk about today now, Uh, Scott, before we get into the actual contents of what's going on with hospitals, the medical establishment. Um, You've had a lot of fantastic guests on your podcast recently. Mention a couple and maybe um, just a couple things they shared maybe that uh, stuck out to you.
0: Well, G. Edward Griffin was on last week. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who are not familiar with him, he is really at the top of the of the pyramid and the medical freedom movement. And it's bigger than medical freedom. Mm-hmm. He's he's on top of the pyramid of the tyranny m- movement against tyranny in the United States against the government. So he's been doing this for 60 years. He's wow. 92 years old. and Really? Uh,
1: you would never know that. He's wow. he's
0: sharp. Wow, I just I okay. really enjoy him.
1: Vera Sharav too. She's eighty six. You would never know right. this. God bless them. So continue. Right,
0: it's it's fantastic to to listen to his wisdom. And he did something very unique. He said, you know, when I invited him on, he said, sure, I'd be glad to come on. And then he said, I'd like to do it different. I'd like to do call-ins. And so what we did was we set up. Uh, a situation where people could send in a thirty second question via video, and he answered the questions then live, which was really special. Wow, that's and then Doctor McCullough was on a couple of weeks ago. That yep. was pretty neat. Coach Dave was on, I think, two weeks ago. Coach Passed Dave, the salt. yeah, he, he's a ball of fire.
1: Yeah, he's another troublemaker for the <laughs> kingdom.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I enjoyed, I really enjoyed that. He said on his his tombstone, he wants. On the tombstone, here lies the dangerous man (laughs) and dangerous against Satan.
1: Dangerous to the enemy, dangerous to the globalist government. But yeah, um, so takeaways from these recent podcasts, because I think we had you on about a month and a half ago, maybe. Don't quote me, though. But just some takeaways. Do you learn something from the guests that you have? Because you've done extensive research in the last couple of years.
0: Well, I always learn something from the guests. The the thing that I took away from Dr. McCullough is, uh, strange people would not expect this, but what I took away is I was surprised he was still calling the Jab a vaccine. So that was mm, a shock int- to me.
1: Interesting.
0: And with, um, with G. Edward Griffin, I thought the, the thing that I really liked is how he framed cancer. So his perspective of cancer was, was really unique. He said that, you know, we look at it as something negative, and yet cancer is our body's way to attack the problem. Hmm. And because we don't have the right nutrition, it over attacks, <clears throat> and then we get lumps and things like that. And so then the medical industrial complex has designed a way to kill us because they programmed us relative to the cancer supposed cures, which are no cures at all. Chemo and radiation are when you look at it statistically has about a three percent success rate
1: really it's that low it's
0: that low and one of the very unique guests that I had on was dr. Brzezinski he's the only one in the United States who's developed a cancer cure that's still alive a real cure for cancer he's got his own clinic in Texas they tried to run him out of town meaning they are United States government they filed patents to steal his patent and he survived it all, and he's got wow. an operational clinic in Texas. Where can people
1: cancer. find that podcast?
0: That All the podcasts are, are under Deprogramming with Grace's Dad. Either you can type that into Rumble or on Grace's main website link, ouramazinggrace.net. There's a tab for deprogramming.
1: Okay, ouramazinggrace.net. There we go, Deprogramming with Grace's Dad. Um, isn't it true, We we hate to admit it after all these years that – the medical establishment big pharma and in that industry it's a business and many people would lose a lot of money if there weren't if they weren't treating quote unquote cancer
0: that may be the you know as far as the lane that i'm in i'm in the 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 hospital murder lane but you know grace's murder opened my eyes up to covid COVID as a psychological operation. So COVID has three lanes to it. It has the virus lane, the vaccine lane, and the hospital murder lane. And so Grace's death opened my eyes up to to that situation, but then, and I'm going to explain each one of those, but then as it pertains to your question, it really opened my eyes up to how programmed we've been to adopt medical science as an idol. And so then we fall trapped to that because we don't want God's solutions we always think that man has things figured out and that is that's a scary a scary road especially Mm -hmm. with what COVID has exposed and I think COVID was was used to expose this for people who have ears to hear so the virus lane we we now know um, conclusively it wasn't a virus and we were listening to they were bioweapon.
1: It was a bioweapon coming out of Wuhan, China, the lab, that was developed.
0: And what we, what we saw, even statistically, uh, if you're familiar with Reiner Fomic, so Reiner is, is developing the, the international, um, basically the Nuremberg II trials. And he had a guest on last week, Cindy and I were listening to this podcast and that guest showed how the supposed virus didn't cross certain country boundaries, for example. So, I mean, how is that possible <laughs> if it's a virus? Yeah, exactly. And he was showing it through the statistics. I mean, wow. this guy was an expert in, you know, the, the, the data is out now. So when you analyze the data, you can see this. So, you know, so that's the virus lane. Yeah. Then you look at the, the supposed vaccine lane, and this is why I said I was surprised Dr. McCullough still called it a vaccine because the Brooke Jackson case exposed that it was not a vaccine at all in fact it was a prototype
1: explain that for our newer listeners or people who who are still trying to understand well why isn't it a vaccine
0: well why isn't it a vaccine is because they'd never designed it to be a vaccine they designed it as a prototype so brooke jackson she filed the false claims act warner mendenhall is her attorney they filed the false claims act in january of 2021 so a false claims act, she went to work for Pfizer. She realized they weren't doing any testing. And so a false claims lawsuit is designed to hold vendors accountable to the U.S. government. So she hires Warner's firm to file the lawsuit. Pfizer's defense is we weren't hired to produce a vaccine. In fact, we have an OTA and other authority contract with the Depart- Department of Defense that shows that this is only a prototype. Well, then the most shocking piece of that lawsuit was in October of 2022. The U.S. government, instead of supporting Brooke Jackson, came in behind Pfizer and said, yes, they're telling the truth. Wow. Well, then even more shocking is on March 31st of 2023, just a couple months ago, Mm -hmm. the federal judge dismissed the case. So now they have to go through an appeal process to get this case heard. So, you know, they're, they're all in on it. Yep. So that's the, that's the, um, jab lane. And so then you have the hospital murder lane, which I represent and where most of my research is, is you realize that these this whole situation with hospital murders was set up by doing three things that have never happened before. Number one is that they created a shroud of secrecy. So they told 99.9% of the families in the United States that when your loved one was in a hospital with COVID, they couldn't go in. So that created this shroud of secrecy. Then they had incentivized bonuses to hospitals yes. to follow protocols that were known to kill that's been known proven. to kill before COVID even came about. And then third is they implemented what's called the PrEP Act, which provided immunity from liability if you killed people. So what was the whole purpose of this? One point two million Americans have been murdered in hospitals in the thirty nine month COVID era. So what was the purpose? It was all to fuel the propaganda. So now I see this entire situation with COVID as a psychological operation, but what it was meant to do for those with eyes to see and ears to hear was to show there's a lot larger agenda going on. And that's where the research has gone into this larger agenda. Wow.
1: There's so much there, Scott. Um, You you talked about your eyes were opened uh, and and, uh, it says in this, the email, the newsletter you sent out recently. I trusted what I learned from my teachers, my textbooks, and the news, quote, reporters. Uh, what I have what have I found out? Almost everything we've been told is a lie. Once we are awake awake to this fact, our responsibility to deprogram ourselves begins. And that includes what you just explained when it comes to the medical establishment and the quote healthcare industry and what we have just gotten used to or had taken for granted or just assumed because they take the um, uh, do no harm oath, uh, which is just a, a fraction of that oath, by the way, but they take that. We trust the white coats. So there's. we've talked a lot about this before, but I want to point out a couple of your um, scriptures, not your scriptures, but from the book of Matthew that you put in the newsletter. Why did you decide to include These two from Matthew chapter 18, and I'm going to read one of them in particular. It says, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. It's Matthew 186 and seven. Well I
0: picked that because Satan is well aware of the second law of thermodynamics and that law says that anything that is not protected will essentially degrade. So we see for example, faith, Our faith in our Lord always erodes to works. If we don't protect that grace that we know that we are saved by, Hmm. it will erode to works. That's a good way to put it. So that's the second law of thermodynamics at, at work. Satan knows that. He wants us to be convinced that we earn our salvation versus it was a free gift. And so as it applies to this medical industrial complex, he wants us to believe in, well, science. Right? So now Trust we all decide we believe in science, which there's nothing wrong with science. But he knows that if we're not on guard for true science, it will erode itself to the false science that they used for the whole COVID agenda and the entire propaganda. It was not based on science whatsoever.
1: It's, yeah, misinformation. And what they did, which was evil and brilliant at the same time, they put out this campaign, misinformation. So they're attacking. The average American or people that are doing their research, even some doctors, for objecting to how this whole thing was rolled out from COVID lockdown policies to the experimental gene therapy, the quote-unquote vaccine. So they were saying that's misinformation on social media. Let's delete it. Get, get rid of it. What they were doing themselves, putting out – you might want to say anti-science, right, fake science, their own propaganda – um, and then accusing anyone who would object of misinformation, that, I've said it time and time again, and I will continue to say it until I am shut down, that's communist policy in America. When you put out one worldview, one talking point, one type of propaganda or information, and then try to suppress the truth, you censor all others, that, is not that is un American, it's not constitutional, but they've gotten away with it. Well they
0: not they didn't just get away with it. The Smith Munt Act used to prevent propaganda, but the Smith Munt Act was repealed and that act Said specifically the government could not use propaganda, but then it was repealed and they can use propaganda legally against their own citizens. So that's why it's happening. It's, wow. they crossed every T and dotted every I. So what they did, and you can even look at the emergency use authorizations, the public health emergency, all the things they did was, is perfectly orchestrated. So it was all legal, but it would, it doesn't, It doesn't pass the morality test. It was all designed as
1: a complete
0: scam against the American people.
1: Mm, The perfect storm. 2020, 2019, COVID-19, 2020 was the perfect storm. We had lockdowns. We had riots on the streets. Remember the Black Lives Matter Global Network Network Foundation driven by anti-family, anti-Christian Marxists and headed by Marxists? Um, They were destroying – I mean – there was so much fear mongering with the media that people were so afraid they were willing to submit to whatever the government suggested and that was a perfect storm for them to lay out these policies, procedures, protocols. It was oh, a fascinating and, time.
0: It, and it was set up even before that. So those were uh, you know, really brilliant setups from the enemy's perspective. Yep. But then think through how they were able to pull this off. They have trained critical thinking out of the school system. Yes. Okay. They have <laughs> trained the the pastors in our churches that they have to protect their five hundred one c three status, so they can't
1: can't talk about anything. You can't talk <laughs> yeah, about right political can't talk quote unquote. About,
0: right. I mean, it's so then wow. you know, when when that came time to roll this <laughs> thing out, everybody was was they were already set up for it. So you think about something like as simple as this. Business of wearing masks. All right, so why weren't churches speaking out against masks? Well, because well, what hill do should we die on? Well, we should die on the first hill, right? If the first hill is a lie, that's the hill to die on, isn't it? Mm. Because otherwise, the second hill is going to be worse than the first one. So, if all the churches would have stood up against masks and shutting down at the beginning, well, then we could have stood up against the jab easier. Instead, churches, a lot of the mega churches. Had jab clinics inside, you know. You can't make this. You stuff mean they out.
1: were they were they had COVID shots inside the churches inside their churches as a quote service to the public. By the way, the some pastors that we've had on this podcast, uh, they still there are still some lawsuits. Um, a few are pending. Many of them have been settled. That they just tried to keep their churches open under government orders regarding how we can worship in America. How we can worship? When? How many people can enter your church building in America? It's just amazing that we're here and we're talking about this. But Scott, we've got to move on because <laughs> there's so much to talk about. Um, tell us about Plandemic Two: the origins of Big Pharma.
0: So we have that link on Grace's website. I can't tell you exactly where it is right at this moment, <laughs> but because there's so many links on the website, but the. The reason I sent you that is because if you go back to how this all began, the Rockefellers brought in the medical industrial complex through um, pills made from petroleum products way back in the early 1900s. Well, then those pills started to cause cancer. And mm-hmm. so the same people who brought in the solution of pills, guess what they did? They funded the American Cancer Society. Oh my goodness. So this was the, was one of the first, um, outright uses of the Hegelian dialectic, problem reaction solution, where it was, was planned ahead of time. So that was the start. And well, then the Rockefeller family infiltrated the medical schools and said we will provide this funding as long as you follow our script and and that's how the whole thing got started and you know we have to go back in history i think it's important to go back in history yes. because yes. when you see that you'll connect the dots that this is not just about covid this was started over 100 years ago mm-hmm. and when you see that with your own eyes and i know you're going to have that link in the the show notes it's if everybody watched that link in the show notes it will open your eyes to how long this has been going on and i think it'll open your eyes to a lot of different things mm-hmm. and that's why i used that matthew okay. that matthew reference that you were wondering about earlier you yeah. read the second part the first part is acting like a little child nobody comes to me unless they're like a child mm-hmm. so what is the what's the key humbleness of a child they ask questions their pride isn't in the way they just keep asking questions yes and that's what i hope happens relative to anybody that sees this. Once you start seeing this, you will start asking more questions, more questions, more questions. Mm -hmm. And what else, the question that you should ask is, what else have they been lying to me about? By the way, I want to uh, mention about Grace, my daughter Grace, because when you read the first scripture, 1 John 4 8, that was Grace's favorite scripture. Really? Yeah, she abbreviated it God is love. Uh Um, And so I, I forgot about that, but you know, what happens when you're you know, stuff pops into your head and now you give me the freedom to say what's on my mind, which is great.
1: Yes. Um and so you you mentioned the spirit of collectivism under the guise of rising costs. A hundred million Americans on Medicare, Medicaid, and this is in a PowerPoint. Is this your program that you Yes, I put
0: together a PowerPoint now because there's so much information and when I, when we're asked to speak at places, you know, you, you gotta condense it so that, you know, if they give you an hour, a half hour, whatever, you gotta condense it. But this is a big deal. Mm. So before COVID, there were 62 million Americans on Medicare and Medicaid. That number, that bureaucracy that funds that percentage of Americans, so 62 million, was 39% of the annual federal budget, $2.2 trillion. So there was a study done by the trustees for the Medicare and Medicaid fund that said we have to do something substantial. This was done August 31st of 2021. Something substantial to change this because there's we don't have the money. Of course, that's a lie because we live in a fiat currency. But that aside, (laughs) what happened during COVID is the federal government relaxed the rules for sign-up for Medicare and Medicaid. So now there's 100 million people on Medicare and Medicaid. So you think, oh, wasn't that nice? So they do this under, well, look at, we needed to help people. No, they didn't do it to help people. Now that population group accounts for over 50% of the budget.
1: Wow. So
0: that's how they implement collectivism. They convince collectivism is the opposite of individualism. Mm-hmm. As it applies to health care, the health of the individual is important, collectivism says no we have to worry about the general health so then we have to manage resources that's a lie that's been sowed. so when we have Medicare and Medicaid recipients that cost over 50 percent of the federal budget we have to manage those services and you know Ezekiel Emanuel has already said non-contributing citizens that's anybody on Medicare and Medicaid is non-contributing now They don't deserve medical care, and that was implemented in Obamacare.
1: Yes. Now, we did that the last time. Yes. Gonna, I am going to have to put the link to our last podcast because we talked about that. You, We actually read that paragraph from Obamacare that was in the law. That was 2010?
0: Yeah, March 23rd of 2010. Okay. That's Section 1553 we wow. read from.
1: So we read that. We need to take this a little step further here. We have got five more minutes before we need to take a break. Ezekiel Emanuel, um, say that what, the, you phrase it just the way you did. Yeah. So
0: Ezekiel Emanuel said that if you're a non-contributing citizen, non-contributor, you don't deserve medical care. So now we have a hundred million people. Okay. All right, so these people are not going to get the medical care they deserve. My personal belief based on studying is that seventy percent of America's taking the jab, the cancer rate is already going up. Yeah. And so, so heart heart issues. It, heart issues, right. So these people now are going to have <clears throat> problems. They're going to go into their doctor, right? Yeah. So think about the programming here. They're going to go into their doctor, the doctor is going to say, Oh, you have cancer the good news is I can get you in next week for, my, for your chemo slash radiation treatment. And what does the person say? This is the programming. Will my insurance cover it? Right? That's their programming. And the doctor puts his arm around him and says, the good news is you're on Medicare and it's going to be 100% paid for. And they mm-hmm. just sign their death wow. certificate.
1: So let's talk about non-contributors and what that, that means from a eugenic standpoint. We know Margaret Sanger was one of the first—not maybe not first—but main eugenicists in America in the 1920s, even before the de- the decade before that. She wrote; uh, she had a birth control review and, and uh, a magazine, a newsletter, newsletter. Um, preborn human babies—they're non-contributors. There's already a holocaust in America of babies in the womb that have been slaughtered. If you are in hospice, if you are in a nursing home, you are a quote unquote non-contributor. There are five, maybe six states in America now that already have uh, legalized death by doctor, physician-assisted suicide. That's eugenics. That's murder by the by the hands of a doctor uh, the, uh, under the guise of compassion. Canada has a law, the Made Law, um, medical assistance in dying, made. They have That's legislation they've been following. They're killing tens of thousands. Um, I, I know I lowballed it there. So non-contributors, when Ezekiel Emanuel said that, we're talking about a worldview. We're talking about a movement devaluing human life and saying, we've got to take care of the useless eaters here because they're taking up air, space, um, money. And the environmentalists use that to say, yeah, we've got to depopulate. We've got to decrease the population. Your thoughts in the last couple minutes here if we need to pick it up on the other side of the break we will.
0: Well, I agree with that 100% and when you when you see this under the framing of a worldwide population reduction agenda. So just think this through. If you don't believe in God, you have to come to the conclusion that we have to manage the environment and manage the population. Those are logical conclusions. So these people are simply implementing a satanic agenda. Yeah. yeah. And it, we can't wrap our head around it. But God told us this is going to happen. He said that we are inherently bad, but we don't want to wrap our heads around that. We still think there's the good of mankind. Well, that's a lie sowed by Satan. There is no good in mankind. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So this is predictable what's going to happen. And if people can really see that there is a population reduction agenda, you will start preparing if you can't see that you would do no preparation so right. i i believe it is is critical eugenics is way bigger than just the population groups you met you mentioned right absolutely so you know they're going to be targeting of course christians so yeah. that is a huge population group the unvaccinated is a huge population group why because we're the disobedient ones disobedient yeah. to their agenda
1: yes Yes, and by the way, we are talking about the Rockefellers and Bill Gates, and, and he's, got some, he's had some interesting quotes on uh, his idea of depopulating, and uh, I think he backtracked on one or two, but the words are out there. The quotes are out, out there. There are some very powerful globalists that want to implement this worldwide, the World Economic Forum. We haven't even touched on that, the U.N. How on earth is America still involved with the U.N.? Um, anyway, and there's a movement, by the way, there's some legislation they're trying to put out that, that to get the United States out of the United Nations. I just heard a little bit about that recently. but we've, when we come back from our break, we're going to talk about frailty scoring, also training documents for medical personnel, training. what, what kind of new training are they uh, having to go through now? And even some in the mainstream Marxist media, are reporting on some of these issues. Wait, what? Fascinating times here. More with Scott Shera when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Feedback, questions, and topic suggestions are always appreciated. Email us at comments at standupforthetruth.com. We are with Scott Sherr of the website, our amazinggrace.net. Our um, Scott, we are going to get an update on the lawsuit. We haven't even mentioned that yet. We've done a half hour, yeah. a whole segment. You've got an amazing, the first of its kind lawsuit, and we are going to talk about details on that uh, toward the end of this segment, but we've got to go back to. What is frailty scoring and how are medical personnel being trained? You've got some of these documents and you put them in a PowerPoint. Tell us about this. Frailty scoring, I understand what the word frailty means, but how, so they're scoring people's level of not being able to contribute to society. Tell us about that.
0: Yeah, so it's interesting because Nurse Kate from the UK is who turned me on to this and Nurse Kate has been on the podcast also. She is, she is so sharp. Mm. She has drilled down these things to show how the UK is implementing and she challenged me and said, Scott, These same documents are in the United States, just find them. So you remember Robert Pazer, who Cindy and I rescued from the hospital in Green Bay in November. So Robert has helped, because my time is so limited, I'm doing this full time now. Robert helped me research, and so he found right from the NIH website the frailty scoring. So it's called a clinical frailty score, or clinical frailty scale. They abbreviate CFS, and they Claim it's for triaging. So of course, if you have to triage, you'd want to you'd want to score people. Okay. It's a logical thing to do if there's an objective triage situation. Right. But that's how they do this.
1: Oh my goodness! So now yep.
0: they're scoring people on uh, you know, can you walk up a flight of stairs and all kinds of different things that you know would make sense if it's an objective triage situation. But they're doing this now to determine. Are you one of the useless eaters and non contributors, non contributing members of society? Yeah. And so that is alive and well, right from the NIH website. So you could put the, you could put this uh, whole PowerPoint in the show notes if you want, if people want to see it. It's right
1: there at the National Institute of Health. It is right there. It's right on their website. So if they're, they're not hiding this. It's just people are so busy. In the United States of entertainment, in particular, we are so busy and so distracted very few people do this type of research and find this information out and then very few people have a platform to get this information out to try to inform and warn others I think you know God knew when
0: he he allowed grace to go early that it was going to light a fire under my rear end. <laughs> and, <you> know, <laughs> so is, to speak. It's, well, it's now, <laughs> what are you going to do once you learn this? You know, He's given me yeah. a platform. That's all Praise I can say. God. So now we've, we've got to share it.
1: Okay, what about training documents? How are they training now? Um, and are we talking about doctors, nurses, uh, administrators, what?
0: Hey, I want to go through two. So, yes, we're talking about how, you know, so you would think, okay, so this stuff, okay, Scott, they crossed the T's that. The eyes but they still have to get people to do it right they still yeah. have to get the doctors and nurses to actually go kill along. people to go along with this agenda yeah. so how do they do yeah. that so you we all think of texas as this great sanctuary and here texas was one of the first they passed the texas advanced directives act in 1999 and it's specifically i'm going to quote here a section uh, says, this is section 166.046 subsection e and it allows a healthcare facility to discontinue life-sustaining treatment 10 days after giving written notice if the continuation of life-sustaining treatment is considered futile care by the treating medical team. Okay, so... So
1: they've got to make an evaluation.
0: So what's critical here is futile, the word futile. All right, so... And then who determines it? The same team determines it, and... You know we're we're going to talk about this NBC news. I'm just going to leap ahead to that because last week, January 20th, Lester Holt. You, know, you can't make this up. Because by the way, we are, we are mainstream media.
1: We we are not promoting the uh, uh, un- taking in of anything on NBC, but we were mentioning what they did in this program.
0: I was shocked because it's uh, a friend of ours sent this, and I I watch it. I couldn't even believe my eyes because it was truth on mainstream
1: media. And so this was... uh, (laughs) It's so sad that that... (laughs) Let's just stop for a moment and think about that. I couldn't believe my eyes because it was truth on mainstream media. There's a quote for the podcast. notes. No, seriously, it's so sad that we are in this place when we've got, what, 20% 20 of Americans only... Uh, believe what the mainstream media reports. We are in a sad state when it comes to journalism. Go ahead, Scott. Well,
0: that's, that's true. Well, they were reporting the situation. They spent a whole five minutes on it. They were reporting oh. a situation in Texas where minutes. the the daughter was in the hospital with the supposed COVID diagnosis. They tried to kill her, kill her with a ventilator remdesivir, but she was strong. She was her survivor. Wow. She's all of a sudden in there a month, and they're trying to convince the mom to move her to hospice care. So that's what the, this article, or what that story was about. So why were they trying to move her to hospice care? Because they didn't want her to die under their watch for the statistics. Because they get rated based on how many deaths they have. So they wanted her to die in hospice care versus in the hospital. So the mom kept refusing, kept refusing, and got her daughter out. And she's alive today. So they were exposing another piece to this. So you can see how this this fut this futility score comes into that because they need to they want the Frailty first, scoring. Uh, well this is actually futility score. The frailty scoring we were talking about earlier. Okay. Where but this is the this Texas Advanced
1: Directives Act. Okay. This for, is from twenty five years ago. Yeah this is nineteen ninety
0: nine. Right. Almost. So yeah. I mean this has been going on for a long time. Wow. And so you just process what is happening. They they want to get you out of that hospital setting, that's what this article was exposing, so that their numbers, their death numbers aren't, <laughs> aren't negative. So they get a five-star rating. It's hard to grasp. They had exposed also in that particular news article that the, the CEO's compensation was partially based on the death numbers for the hospital. So that was a direct motivation to move the patient to hospice care. So even though in that facility, the hospice care facility was also in the same hospital, it didn't count against their death toll numbers.
1: Oh, dear Lord, help us. Um, Let's go to this next part. Uh, You mentioned ascension. And I'm confused about one thing, and I know there's a lot to unpack here, because a radical, liberal, feminist, Marxist, uh, Democrat, socialist senator in Wisconsin, even – came and spoke about this a nonprofit hospital system ascension ascension non- is nonprofit nonprofit
0: yeah so they you know the amount of money they save per year in taxes is about a billion dollars based on their profit structure the Ascension Hospital system is the second largest nonprofit in the United States. They're the largest wow. Catholic hospital system. They have 30 okay. billion in cash reserves and it could even be higher than that now. That's what these people are pointing out. So, okay. the senator you're talking about from Wisconsin, so You can mention her name one t- time. <laughs> Tammy Baldwin. She she is calling them to task as to what they're doing. So what she was calling out is you're profitable you're not paying any taxes but you're cost cutting you're trying to you're bragging about the fact that your numbers show that your patient to nurse ratio is the you know so let's say that a normal hospital has one nurse to 10 patients i don't know that i'm just but Ascension was bragging that they were beating that average by cutting costs, by cutting labor. And so she's calling them to task on that. The New York Times also called oh. them to task.
1: Well, let's hold off. I want, to, I want to quote part of what she said that Ascension is, um, they're operating like a private equity fund, closing facilities, extracting cash from its member hospitals for dubious management fees to advance investment activities and compensate executives. End quote. Now on to the New York Times. Usually now on this podcast, friends, if you're new, only John Haller is allowed to mention or cite the New York Times, but I'm allowing Scott to do that today.
0: Well, the New York Times is doing a similar type of situation, and we know based on the investment funds uh, we had. So many people are sending me research, which is neat. One of Cindy's friends sent me an article that showed that uh, the investment funds that Ascension is involved in is, is part of the George Soros group. So this is sick uh, stuff. So why are we bringing up Ascension? Well, Ascension, St. Elizabeth's Hospital, where Grace was murdered, is an Ascension hospital In system. Appleton, Wisconsin. In Appleton, Wisconsin.
1: Yeah. Okay, so so the the New York Times had a little, you know, they they brought it up too, um, and they're a little behind on this. All of these people are a little behind on this, but at least there there are mentions. It's out there a little bit, <laughs> but uh, we've got a long way to go when it comes to actual um truth from when it comes to the media so now i think we can jump into your lawsuit now and get oh wait a minute before we do that breaking the oath oh breaking the oath we we went to that documentary when was that a month or so ago it premiered in the depure theater on may 21st may 21st what's an update what have you heard is it available now free online breaking the oath tell us about that before we get into the details of the lawsuit
0: uh, well, that was quite a project. It was fun to do. Jeff yeah. Wagner did a fantastic job putting it together. And we've
1: had him on the podcast yes. as well. Yeah,
0: and I, I listened that morning. He did yeah. a wonderful job with you. Uh, the it's free on Rumble now. Okay, so we have the Breaking link right video. on Grace's website. If you go to ouramazinggrace.net, right on the home page, there's in yellow. It's it's the most prominent tab, so you can just click on it. Goes directly to the Rumble
1: link. Okay, awesome. Um, now. Breaking the oath, that's done, that's out there. You know, Jeff's working on another thing. You're working on another thing. But let's talk about the lawsuit update. Um, where, I don't remember what, what we covered last time we were here, but tell us from the beginning of the lawsuit and kind of condense it for us. You have spent a lot of time – You've met invested a lot of money into this, and not many people are will, are able or willing to do that. So just take a step-by-step step and kind of condense that f- process for yeah, us.
0: You know, the lawsuit is can be all-consuming depending on the week you're in, and so it has consumed a lot of time. But mm-hmm. I want to go all the way back. So after Grace died, we really didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. We got the records. We assembled the records, and... Once I had the records put together. The hospital records. The hospital records. We, we knew that something happened, but we didn't know the extent. Mm -hmm. And I had met an attorney that is, um, a partner in a 300 partner law firm. So this is a huge firm. And he said, Scott, this is a big case. And I want to introduce you to the best medical malpractice attorney in Wisconsin. So he did that. And I talked with this gentleman. And this is where I thought we would never file a lawsuit because he said, Scott, he looked at the records. He said, Scott, even in slam-dunk cases like this appears to be, you only have a 1 in 10 chance of winning. So I thought, well, how is that possible? And so he said, let me share an, an example. He said, I represented a family where the husband had a sponge sewed up inside of him, and we lost. I said, how could you lose that case? He said, we brought in 10 experts, and they brought in 100 they circle the wagons around their own. He told oh my me, goodness. and so in our case, you know, we we listed Ascension Hospital System as one of the defendants. Well, I and mean, they have thirty billion in cash. Wow! You know, they certainly aren't in the business of losing a case like this, right? It's truly right. David versus Goliath. Yes, I was just going to say. So that. then, and so when then you filter what he said through the financials, which is what he did. He did that with me when I met with him. He said just take a look at the state statute. So in Grace's case, the absolute best case scenario is that we could win seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That's the best case scenario. So we've already said if we win anything we're not taking it, but that aside, so if that's the best case scenario and you have a one in ten chance of winning, think about from the law firm's perspective. So they get one third. Right? So now wow. one a one in ten chance is seventy five thousand, one third is twenty five thousand. Well the experts cost a hundred thousand. So there's no law firm that's gonna take this on like the ambulance chasing cases we're all familiar with. Right. That isn't how it works. Right. So that means you've got to fund your own cases. That's why there's no cases being filed. That's why Grace's case can be a landmark case that blazes the trail for others. Because yeah. the the law firm that and the whole team that we're working with, they want to utilize Grace's case as an opportunity to fundraise, and because it would be nice to have uh, you know dozens of cases filed. We're not putting faith in the lawsuit. that's not the point, yep. but it's, it does shine light on evil. yep, and that's a big piece of what's going on here.
1: And we also need to point out that you waited a long time because you wanted to give those responsible an opportunity to repent and admit that they did this or this happened some of them were knowingly some unknowingly involved in Grace's death you wanted to give them time so you waited until when when did you file
0: the lawsuit was filed april 11th
1: and so that's almost a, a right year in, and a half not quite
0: and we took the extraordinary step of putting our expert you know so we have one expert right now but he had gone through all the records you know we spent tens of thousands to get <laughs> to that point But he went through all the records. We disclosed the expert right in the the pleadings to make sure that everybody knows this is is not a joke. This is a serious case. Mm -hmm. And then we also took the extraordinary step of instead of just filing against the hospital, we filed against... Five doctors and two nurses who were directly involved with Grace's death. Mm -hmm. And then we left the opportunity open for John and Jane Doe's as discovery moves forward. And I just, you know, because of the fact that we want these people to repent, and we still do. It isn't that we, that's over. You know, the time for repentance is still now. You know, so we filed against Gavin Shokar. He's the one who ordered all the meds that killed grace Ugh. so presidex lorazepam morphine you know that med combination in 29 minutes nobody could have survived
1: not only not only the, um, the combination of those things which should never be administered together but the amounts of the meds
0: that's correct he also put an illegal do not resuscitate order which on
1: it. you did not ask for that's correct that's amazing uh,
0: david beck was the attending physician daniel leonard was the second in charge on the COVID wing. Carl Baum was one of the hospitalists who, uh, interestingly, he said to me after we denied the ventilator the first time, he said to me, isn't a 20% chance better than no chance? So he was framing it as if Grace is going to die. There's no reason that Grace had to die. Mm. Uh, Ramana Murata, he was the pulmonologist who requested the ventilator the first time. Then it was four times after that. Holly McGinnis is the one, she's one of the nurses, she's the one that actually gave Grace the meds. Mm -hmm. And then last is Allison Barcoltz. She's the one who had me escorted out of the building. Why was that? So that would happen on October 10th, and what she told me that morning is the last three shifts of nurses don't want you in the room, number one. Number two is that you've been shutting off the alarms at night. And so my defense to that, of course, was the, the nurses train me how to do it because the alarms are going off regularly nice and Grace needs to sleep. Yeah. And then um, third, she said, we suspect you have COVID, which was a, a complete joke because they're telling me that I was going to get COVID by being in Grace's room. <laughs> so anyway, that's... Wow. Uh, uh, so the update then, so yep. all the parties had to respond on May 15th, okay. and they all did respond on May 15th. Yep. And I want to read a couple of the highlights. Yeah. Please do. Uh, well, I enjoy this particular part, because, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's enjoyable because it's, it's funny. And but it's, it's sad at the same but time. But it's sad at the yeah. same time because you end up having to waste your time and money on these yeah. crazy responses so when we filed it's called a summons and complaint okay. when they respond it's called answers and affirmative defenses okay. so when I quote these I'm going to read answers so okay. quote in answer to paragraph six of the complaint deny that Ascension Health directly provides health care services
1: I'm, I'm confused about that <laughs> well
0: the word directly I'm sure is what they're focusing on okay. so they didn't directly kill grace so they didn't directly provide health care services <sighs> Uh, in answer to paragraph forty of the complaint, deny that Scott Sherrill was removed from the hospital. I, I know. Okay, <laughs> right? You're at, you're asking the same question. You want is to there ask.
1: security footage? If you needed that to prove mm-hmm. that you were escorted out. Mm-hmm.
0: I I don't want I I can't answer that ah, for sure from their okay, perspective okay. but I okay. can tell you we have better than that on, okay. on our right, perspective great. so uh, <laughs> that's all I can say right now uh, the all right so then this was affirmative defense number six this is really a shocker quote any and all injuries or damages sustained by plaintiffs may be a direct and proximate result of the negligence and or decisions made by the plaintiffs. Yeah, wrap your head around you, that. You that caused means, the damages. Yep. Yeah. Is am I understanding Grace, that? Yeah. Grace is a state, and 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 me, we caused the damages.
1: You caused her to die. So,
0: you know. So you think what are they getting at there? I mean, yeah. I, you know, we're going to find out. But I mean, what what I would what believe they're getting they at there do? is in the first day doctor's report, the biases were already in the first day report, which was um, the COVID head person, he said, I don't think Grace would be in the hospital if she had been fully vaccinated. So that is part of the bias that they had towards Grace because we never vaccinated Grace.
1: Right. And then they also had a bias because she had Down syndrome. Correct. And was there also a bias that you were a Christian family?
0: Christian and we're following, they said, the frontline doctor's misinformation campaign. Okay. So So there was four biases. Wow. Right. So, I mean, you can see, and so now they're saying that we caused Grace's death so now what's happening next, just to to finish that up, we have a hearing. The first hearing is July 14th. Uh, one of the doctor's attorneys had written a brief. So if they want a judge to hear a motion, they have to write a brief. He wrote a brief, and so now the judge scheduled the hearing for July 14th. Okay. An interesting sidebar of that. That's coming up. Yep, it's coming up fast. In a few interesting weeks. sidebar of that it is, you remember when we did the... Um, uh, the announcement of the lawsuit we had to file with the director of state courts a request for mediation that request expires uh, just this this week June 28th that's when the request expires that request for mediation has never been scheduled and the defendants had to submit to the director of state courts they were all late but there's no consequence to them you know we did everything what we're supposed to do yeah. there's no consequence to them Anyway, this hearing, so now our legal team is preparing our brief, Mm -hmm. and I'll be reviewing that this week in preparation for the hearing. And maybe the most shocking thing about the hearing is that it's virtual. Hmm. So I don't care for that at all. We're going to see how that shakes out because uh, what we've learned from the Wisconsin attorney, the boots on the ground, is that that has become the norm and it's legal. Uh, which I don't like at all because we get into discovery and depositions. I mean, you want to be able to look the person right in the eye. You don't want to be doing that via
1: telephone. Oh, geez. Well, to be continued. Thank you for this huge undertaking that you're uh, doing. And um, may God give you favor in the name of Jesus. May he bless your efforts and provide true justice in this case. Scott, we just have uh, five minutes, actually four minutes left. Um, How can people protect themselves?
0: This is the most important thing I'm going to say today. So I want to take the time and define the words informed consent because informed consent is how you protect yourself and that will back into some other pieces. So the first thing is before you even want to go there, you have to come to grips with You should not be trusting the white coat. If you still believe you're going to trust the white coat going into the hospital, you should turn the channel now. But if you are open to that, you need to protect yourself. If I would have understood informed consent the way I'm going to explain it right now, Grace would be alive today, even though she went into the hospital. The best thing we could have done is to not take her to the hospital. She'd be alive today but because she didn't need to go. But if you're in the hospital, you need to wrap your head around what informed consent is. So I'm going to define it first, and this is from the American Medical Association Code of Medical Ethics, Opinion 2.1.1. So the doctors have an ethical and legal responsibility to provide informed consent. And here's what it says. Informed consent to medical treatment is fundamental in both ethics and law. Patients have the right to receive information and ask questions about recommended treatments so they can make well-considered decisions about care very crystal clear they're not volunteering this so we assume that they would tell us right we the only time Cindy and I I would say even got anything close to informed consent is when the doctor suggested we use a feeding tube on grace the last day and that's the only time we even got close to informed consent Mm -hmm. otherwise what they do is they do things you trust them and then they tell you after the fact oh boy so informed means you're, you have the doctor, like you and I are face-to-face. You start asking questions. Okay, he said, I want to I give Grace morphine. All right, well, what, what are the pros, cons? What are the risks, mm-hmm. advantages? What are the alternative treatments? So now you take all that information. It'd be just like if you're going to go buy a new car. You don't just walk in and then whatever car the salesperson has, you drive away. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. So this is the same thing. You get informed. You get informed about the decision. And then after you're informed, you take that information, start Googling it yourself, find somebody on the outside who you trust, have them look at it, and then your consent is a separate event. Don't feel the pressure to make that decision live. Make it when you're not under pressure. And that's what informed consent is. So you can prepare yourself for a hospital stay by having your power of attorney form. You need an advocate.
1: Yes, yes, an Advocate. Yes.
0: You've got to have your medical directives uh, document. All those documents, the power of attorney medical directives are under the hospital rescue tab on Grace's web, website, AmazingGrace.net. Okay,
1: yep. Okay, they're there. So thank you, brother. Uh, we've got to encourage people that um, they need an advocate and they need to be aware of this. If they should go into the hospital or have a family member, a loved one. In the it
0: starts with an attitude. I'll just give you one, one quick thing. So, when you go into a hospital, they're going to want you to sign this little box Release. with a fake pen, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Okay, don't do that.
1: Oh, okay. Get the
0: printout. Okay. See what you're signing. Good advice. Cross off an initial, get a copy. So, now you're setting the stage, and then make sure your medical directives form is on the front of your chart. Okay, wow. So they can't miss it.
1: Wow. Thank you, Scott. Very, very helpful and beneficial hour. And great update with you. Love you, brother. God bless you. Uh, OurAmazingGrace.net. Tomorrow, John Haller with a prophecy update as we talk about globalism and other things that Christians need to be aware of. You will hear a replay Wednesday with Usama Dakdoc Thursday, Dr. Andy Woods back on the podcast. And on Friday, Gary Ka, Hope. For the world. A loaded week. Well, thank you guys so much again for sharing and thank you for praying for us. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.